Zach, this is episode number 18 of Open Your Hymnal, and you know what that means. That means this is the season finale. We have finished one whole year of podcast episodes. It's really incredible. Like, you know, when we were just brainstorming over those plates of dumplings in Anaheim, California, I would not have expected we would be finishing up uh, the season and then, of course, looking toward uh, what we're going to do for next season. So this has just been a really, really fun ride. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe I've mentioned it before, certainly I've mentioned it to you, Zach, that I've... um, you know, been been very pleased to hear from people who have found these episodes meaningful. Um, I also feel selfish in the sense that I really enjoy how much we've learned or we've been able to to see and hear and experience through these conversations with composers. You know, thinking back from our first episode at the beginning of May 2017 with Michael Jonkis and all the people from then all the way through, we've heard from talk about approach to composition and spirituality and other topics of importance to the church, um, we really had a, a front row seat in a unique classroom here. Oh, definitely. I think I, I look back uh, to NPM when we were doing uh, the bulk of our interviews in the hotel room and just the hours uh, that we spent with composers, I was thinking to myself, man, I am getting the best NPM convention anyone could ever <laughs> hope to attend um, as we were talking to all these people. And, you know, before we were mentioning how amazing it is that we had this ability to to meet with these composers and learn so much. And certainly I've learned a lot from the composers themselves and the other guests that we've had call in in previous episodes. But I've been also pleasantly surprised at how much I've learned from our listeners. So we've been able to hear from from many of you who are listening about the songs that have meant a lot to you, your own experience from different points in your life, um, how much these songs have, have meant for your prayer life, for your personal life. Um, it's also been interesting because I've heard from people you know, who have listened to an episode about a song that I've, you know, grown up with that I know by heart, who maybe are hearing that song for the first time. So so it's great to explore these songs that are such a part of the treasury of our, our contemporary Catholic liturgical music, and also to know that this is, you know, they're still finding new audiences, they're still finding new people to pray and to sing with them. So the fact that these songs are also being learned by, you know, sort of the third, fourth wave of uh, listeners is really exciting too. Well, of course, because so much of it is, you know, guided by what music uh, is being selected in your parishes. And a lot of that depends on just very basically what music you have in your pews, like what hymnals you have. And so uh, for today's episode, uh, I think this is uh, this was really great for me to learn a little bit more about uh, this song, uh, The Lord is My Light by Christopher Walker, because um, I have not worked in a parish that has an OCP hymnal. I've known the song, of course, uh, but, you know, to not necessarily be aware of how this song is touching people where its use is more regular. Um, again, just another way that uh, the podcast has been able to open my eyes beyond what's uh, normally right in front of me. 
No, I think you're exactly right, Zach. And and I guess that's a that's another hope of mine is I hope that this podcast has served to help broaden people's horizons when it comes to the the music that that is sung and that is prayed in your community in terms of you know finding new music from new composers and new voices and new time periods and new publishers um, there's so much out there we we have such a rich repertoire and a rich depository that I hope people are encouraged to explore it more so now please open your hymnal to the Lord is my light the Lord is my light, my help, my salvation. Hello, my name is Christopher Walker, and uh, I'm a composer. Some people call me a decomposer, but there you go. Uh, I'm director of music of St. Paul the Apostle Church in Los Angeles, but I was born in a little island off New York called England. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my help, the Lord is my salvation. Okay, shall I start? <laughs> Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Uh, I was asked by my publisher to uh, write a new mass. This is in 2006. Um, sorry, 1996, was it? I'm getting so old. That's the, that's the uh, copyright date in the hymnal, is 96. 96, that's right, 1996. We want you to write a, a, a new mass. It's going to be the big mass for all our hymn books. And I said, listen, why don't you write to your 10 best composers, get them to write a mass each, and then choose the best one? And John Lim said, Chris, that's not how it's going to be. You're going to write it. So um, they flew me up, put me in a hotel room. First day, I wrote 13 holies. And they chose five to sing from and then took a vote on the one they wanted. Next day, I wrote five glorious. And I mean, things were going so well. And guess what? Next day, I got scared. I just, I just couldn't believe things were going so well. And, and for two and a half days, I sat in that hotel room and I could not write a single note of music. I was, I was in a complete desert. Um, and when you're in a desert, what you do if you have a spiritual director, you call up your spiritual director and ask him what to do. Well, here's my advice to anyone who's listening to this. If you are looking for a spiritual director, do not look for a Jesuit, and especially do not look for a Scottish Jesuit. So I called my Scottish Jesuit spiritual director... <laughs> <laughs> and in, he was in, in England. I ran, was ringing from Portland. And uh, I explained the whole thing. Andrew, Andrew I mean, I've got this masses commission for me, and they want me to write this music, and I'm having such a terrible time with it, and I don't know how to write. And, and, and. These are his exact words. Hey, Christopher, the problem is quite clear to me. You spend far too much time talking to yourself and not enough to Jesus. Have a good day. And he put the phone down on me. God's honor, this really happened. And I 
put the phone down. I got on my knees and met the Lord. And 20 minutes later, the piece was written. It just, the floodgates opened, out it came. In, the, in the, the moment, getting up from my knees, the Lord is my light and my help, came straight to me. And I was supposed to be writing a Celtic Mass. And many, many years ago, I directed the Irish Church Music Association Summer School, uh, done it many times. But the first time I did it, uh, in the middle of the week, they did a Gaelic Mass. And uh, I wasn't directing that particular Mass. They had an oboe and a violin and this beautiful young woman with red hair down to down to her, her over her shoulders down her back and singing in Gaelic singing the whole mass and I just was in floods of tears for the whole mass it was so beautiful the Irish do not sing like any other nation on earth it was so lovely and it that experience transformed my own writing of melody and so when the Lord is my light, my help, my salvation, it, it sounds Irish. It, 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 it just came naturally. And it's the memory of that wonderful Mass that kind of is one of the inspirations for my God protects me all my life with the Lord, what should I To be honest with you, it, this actual piece, I, I, I do sometimes spend hours and hours on words, but this one, literally, it was written in, in 20 minutes. Um, I, I think I went to the Grail, the old Grail Psalter, uh, to begin with. Um, it, it, but the, the words are definitely uh, adapted by me. It's uh, the, the, the the, the whole thing, it, it, didn't, it began with bar one and went on to the end. Sometimes you begin with, a begin, with the middle of a piece of music. But this uh, just, just began at the beginning. And it, was, it simply was from getting on my knees to this moment. It's a little difficult to say. Um, I didn't want it to be a choral piece. It was obviously going to be something that people were going to sing. And I didn't think of it as a responsorial psalm. Um, really, it was going to be, a, and, and I wish today we 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 didn't have. Oh, this, people are going to hate this. I wish we didn't have responsorial psalms. I really wish we didn't, because we, oh, we've got to give a response to give the people something to do, and we'll shove in that response in the middle of the verses, even though it interrupts the flow and the sense of the words. It really kind of disturbs me that we do that. Um, I would I would love it if in the future if music if that moment after the first reading evolved, so that we gave people the opportunity of singing a whole psalm. Um, I've started just this year in my church uh, doing the, with a responsorial. So my biggest problem is if you don't have the words in front of you, then the assembly hear the refrain, and then they sing the refrain, and then there's a verse. Well, what was the refrain? So you're spending the whole time, I'm, well, maybe you're not, but I'm spending the whole time through the verse trying to remember the, the refrain, remember the words, and then the melody, even if it's a spoken psalm. 
So what, what we do in my church now is we um, people know that when the cantor reaches the end of the verse, he or she will go into the refrain, which then people will repeat again. Well, that sounds boring, except, of course, when the people sing, then your choir can come in, or you can bring in an instrument with it, or add a descant, you know, so it becomes more of a piece. So in church, I'm so concerned that people should feel comfortable and not feel threatened. And the moment a composer writes a piece of music that has a challenging bit for the assembly, it stops being prayer. And then suddenly they're trying to get it right. And if they're not confident, then, well, we'll let the choir sing for us. And that's why I think a a big reason why so many people don't sing in the pews. They're kind of scared of it. They feel inadequate. So as a composer, I try to be fail-safe about whenever I want the assembly to join in, uh, I always make it as clear as possible. So, of course, any discussion of liturgical music would have to begin and end with the Psalms. And that's exactly what we're doing uh, with this first season. We began with On Eagle's Wings, which is a setting of Psalm 91, and we are ending here, uh, season one, with uh, Psalm 27. I think the best way that it was ever explained to me is that the responsorial psalm offers a window into the human reaction to what's going on in the Old Testament reading and in the gospel. So if you're ever like reading the the Old Testament reading from a Sunday or the gospel reading and you're you're kind of at a loss as to like what does this mean for me or what did this mean uh, for the people involved, um, looking to the psalm can os- often put some emotional, experiential context uh, to what's going on, which is, you know, it's kind of why I'm surprised, at least in my experience with where I have worked, priests don't often preach about the psalm response. You know, often, you know, the gospel will get, of course, um, you know, marquee billing. But so often, I think uh, the place where we can begin in, in terms of relating our own human experiences to what's going on in the scriptures, is the psalm. And so, at its worst, the psalm is just another song that gets placed between the first and second readings. But at its best, uh, those words and the way that it's prayed, the way that it's sung, can really open our eyes to what the gospel means in our lives uh, here today. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And while I find the points that Chris made about the responsorial psalm structure and his hope that it would evolve because the structure gets in the way of impact, I mean, I I appreciate, I find that interesting. And I, I think my bigger takeaway from that is I realize the number of parishes that I've been at or I've worshipped at where the only time that we really experience the psalm is at the responsorial psalm. We pigeonhole the entire book of psalms to that one part of the liturgy. And I think, you know, the more that we can incorporate psalm texts or psalm-based texts into the selections we make at the other parts of, of the liturgy, the other music that we sing, um, we can help break out of that structure that, that Chris is talking about. Yeah, and of course, you know, we're bound by the lectionary translations of the psalms, like when you're using them in the slot of the responsorial psalm. But 
I think uh, Chris makes a good point that perhaps in order for people to get the full breadth of the psalm, allowing them to sing the whole thing, either through a strophic setting or some other reimagining of how you engage the assembly with the responsorial psalm. You know, I can't think of any that are strictly lectionary based right now. So that's, you know, as as composers are looking to try to write things that perhaps are filling holes in the repertoire, this might be one of those. I do think of Bernadette Farrell's Oh God You Search Me, a beautiful strophic setting of Psalm John Bell's uh, setting of Psalm 16, it's called Keep Me, Lord, uh, strophic setting of Psalm 16, um, just absolutely beautiful. Psalm texts themselves are an inexhaustible supply. I mean, every emotion is there, um, every fear, uh, every exaltation. Um, my, my, just going back to the responsorial psalm at that moment in Mass, it is the first in the Mass, it's often the first intimate musical moment often uses the word I and you for God. So God is being directly uh, spoken to. The other thing, in a practical way, I mean, you know, people arrive late and leave early. I mean, a priest told me that he gave communion to a woman not so long ago, and when she put her hands out for communion, her car keys were dangling from her finger. You know, give me Jesus and I'm out of here. You know, which is which raises another problem for me is did she feel so irrelevant to the community that she was just getting Jesus and then going somewhere else? But that moment of the responsorial psalm uh, is is an intimate, often an intimate moment, but also it's the one place in the mass musically that I feel people are now warmed up and ready. We're not warmed up and ready to sing an opening song. We don't want to sing a Kyrie, and the glory is in the wrong place. We all know that. And we kind of force our way through it. But by the time we've sat and we've heard the word of God, we are ready to respond with our hearts uh, through music. So that moment, that's why I, I, I wish we had more, we were allowed more freedom with responsorial psalms because it's called... Uh, it's, it's got a response, not because there's a written response, but we are responding to the word of God we've just heard. And many people, many times people have said to me, um, that psalm is the most important piece of music in the, in the Mass. And if, if, going back to responses, if the response is memorable, then that may be the single thing that lives with them into the parking lot and back home. 
but the Psalms themselves, because they're so varied, has, is such an inspiration uh, for other pieces of music. Other, um, I wish we, I know, and I know it's scripture, but I wish we did. We went back to having a little bit of freedom about how we use the Psalms without distorting the. If you have a day, I could go on about how Sister Paul Freeberg and I met in 1986. She picked me up at an airport. How does a nun pick someone up? Well, she did. She, I was there. She was waiting for me. And we're going across the Golden Gate Bridge. I've just come from England. She, we've never met. And I'm making conversation. And she suddenly says, Rephrase that. I'm sorry, sister. Sorry, sister. What was that? Rephrase that remark. That is a sexist remark. I thought, my God, I'm supposed to be writing 150 psalms and 150 gospel acclamations with this witch. I mean, we, we had another 90 miles up to Sea Ranch, and we drove in absolute silence. We took an instant dislike to, to each other. We, we really did. Um, and we arrived at Christian Brusselman's house. We had dinner. It was rather stilted. They were in the big house. I was in the gardener's cottage. The musician always ends up in the servants' quarters. Then at five o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door. Paul, Chris, Chris, are you awake? I, uh, well, I am now, Sister Paul. Um, get in the car. I found a cathedral for, for, for morning prayer. So I got in the car. We drove into the Redwoods, walked half a mile, and there was this amazing oval of of redwoods going up to the heavens. It was just wonderful. She said, this is our cathedral. Let's have morning prayer. So we had morning prayer. And then we went to breakfast, and she looked at me, and she said, promise me you'll never be a... This is in 1986. Promise me you'll never be a star. I said, pardon? Promise me you'll never be a star. I said, well, there's no hope, no possible... I'm never coming back to this country. Little did I know that I've been living here now for 23 years. I'm never going back to this country. She said, promise me you won't be a star. I said, well, that's easy. She said, you can be well known, but Jesus is the star. And we finished breakfast, went to a, there was a gift shop nearby. There was a, there was a, a basket of polished stones. And she said, choose one. And I did. And she said, always carry a stone with you to remember that Jesus is the star. So even at this interview, there's my stone. Christopher Walker is nothing. Jesus is the star. I have a gift. It's nothing about me. It's a gift. God gave it to me. And all my task is to do is to use it. And if it's for the church, then I must be humble enough to accept criticism. And without mentioning names, Sister Paul told me once of a very, very famous composer in this country who uh, wrote a piece of music, and she thought it, and it was a lovely, it is still a lovely, lovely piece of music. And she said, I went to him and said if he changed one word, it would then become like she'd done with at the name of Jesus. If he changed one word, it would become theologically correct, because at the moment it was wrong. 
And the composer just looked at him and said, how dare you? I, what I, it's you know, what I've written, I've written, it, you know. And I just pray not to have uh, an arrogance about what I do. In this, it, 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 it's the problem in this trumped up country that you have that we gave you in 17, whatever the year was. <laughs> in the problem is you do have stars. Everyone is a star over here. And, 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 you, and, and that's wonderful. But in the church, you know, there's no place for that. So we've spoken about the mission of the podcast a few times, just about how uh, we're looking to explore the songs, that the the focus are these uh, particular songs that have found uh, wide appeal, have moved a lot of people, inspired a lot of people, and not necessarily um, being guided by the people or the composers, but of course, you know, they're, they're tied together in, in, in a very special way. Um, but I think, you know, Chris uh, makes some interesting points about, you know, the, the relationship between the music, the prayer, what it means uh, to the assemblies, and uh, how that affects uh, the composer. And I think he's right, too, to point out the fact that this music industry, I mean, if we want to use that label um, or that lens to, to look at liturgical music for a minute, if we think of this music industry is in direct opposition in many ways or is countercultural to um, to popular culture. And when you think about the American culture, at least, or Western culture, and the sort of central role of celebrity in popular culture, from reality TV, of course, to, you know, people you see on television and on the screen and people you hear. I mean, there's, we we are drawn to celebrity. Look at the celebrity gossip pages and anytime anything happens with a royal family or something like that, you know, people pay attention. And and in this type of of work, Really, I mean, like Chris talks about, I mean, we're we're called to 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 shun that celebrity, or certainly not to get into this work in order to seek it, but to get into this work in order to serve, and and that's a real clash of cultures. That's really well said, and I think, you know, by focusing on the music, on the songs, not necessarily on the people, uh, we also get to explore um, all the various issues. Uh, that arise uh, when songs leave the possession of the composer. Because as soon as you put music or a song out there, it has a life of its own. And so often when you hear uh, these episodes, you hear how composers are surprised about how people have interpreted the songs or like what they've been used for or you know how, how people have reacted to them. I made a terrible mistake. I was commissioned by a student friend of a student uh, at the college years ago. This is years and years ago. She said, "I'm getting married. Would you write us a piece of music for our wedding?" Well, the last thing you want at a wedding is new music, and at a funeral, for God's sake. She, but she said, we, "I'd love you to write a piece." So I said, "Well, I'll write a gospel acclamation." And. How are people going to join in with a gospel activation they've never heard before? So, and it's a wedding, so. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. God is love, God is love, and those who live in love, and those who live in love, live with God, live with God. Alleluia, Alleluia. Thrilling. So uh, I, we did it. And about six months later, I visited my old cathedral where I was director of music for 18 years. And Jill, one of the musicians there, had somehow got a copy of this music and was doing it at the 9.30 Mass. And what was she doing? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Go for God's sake, get some fresh batteries. It's the wrong speed. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is love, God is love. And those who live in love, and those who live in love, live with God. I thought, idiot walker. Idiot! <laughs> the composer doesn't always know what's best. For heaven's sake, it's the mo- that was, she's, it was the most perfect speed. And apart from the dreaded Celtic hallelujah, uh, in our church, when we do that hallelujah, the people just roar it out. So I learned a big lesson that the composer is not always right. And I, I'm very grateful to that. I, I do have... I, 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 when I'm writing my own music, piano music or other stuff, then what I have written, I have written. But if it's going to be assembly music, um, I'll give you a couple of examples. When it's assembly music, I always listen to, to criticism. Uh, I wrote a piece of music called At the Name of Jesus, Every Knee Shall Bow. For some reason, it's popular in schools. I don't know why. And the verse, I was singing the verse to Sister Paul, one of my collaborators years ago. Um, he, em- he emptied himself as a slave and free. She said, what? He emptied himself as a slave yet free- and free? That doesn't make sense. That's not theological. I said, well, that's what, what I think OCP are going to print. She said, it's not theological. He empties himself as a slave, yet free. Yet free, for heaven's sake. Thank you, Sister Paul. <laughs> and so, uh, so yet free. And she was absolutely, I love hearing criticism like that. There's a piece I'm going to be doing later today. Um, one, of, one of my, my pieces, uh, 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 Hail Mary. And I always try my new music with my one of my with my choirs at St. Paul's, and if it doesn't work, then it never sees the light of day anywhere else. Um, so I was trying this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you, etc. And it went on till the, now at the hour of our death, Amen. And the hour of our death, I'd written some scrunchy, slightly strange chords to emphasize hour of our death. And when we'd done it, I was asking, asked for comments. And Agnes, one of my altos, who's 91, put her hand up and she said, well, I just have to say, she's British, I just have to say that as I'm the only person in the choir nearest death, um, I'd like you to rewrite that section because I didn't like it. So, 
just for Agnes I rewrote it and it's now so much a better piece it it really is Here's the thing about the star and being well-known. I feel an increasing sense of responsibility for getting it right because people will, they see the name and you have a certain reputation. And this has done me no good at all. And my personal confidence in what I do and how I do things uh, gets knocked a lot. An example of this would be last year, I was, went through a period of, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good choral director. I'm, I'm, I'm great with people. I'm doing fairly well at this, this talk. Um, but I, my confidence got knocked last year, and I just felt, lacking and fearful of and and it came to a head uh, three weeks before Christmas last year uh, we form a uh, we we don't have a children's choir all year we form one for Christmas so we meet we have four rehearsals and then we do it and lessons and carols and it's wonderful and it was I was driving to church for the Saturday morning for the first rehearsal with with these 35 children and their parents they always come because they like to hear the chat and I drove into the parking lot and parked my Jaguar. Oh, I shouldn't have said Jaguar. It's an old Jaguar car. Anyway, I sat in the Jaguar and I switched off the engine. Sorry, I didn't switch off the engine. I kept the engine going and I couldn't switch off and I couldn't open the door. I eventually did switch off the engine and I sat for 10 minutes. I couldn't get out of that car. I was just so... So, feeling, oh, I'm, I'm no good at whatever this, you know, how can I do it again? And clear as a bell, I heard in my head, would you take me with you? And it was the Lord. And I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I forgot. I just forgot. I opened the door, and I took the Lord with me. And we had a wonderful rehearsal. We had three other wonderful rehearsals, and Christmas was fabulous. Except (laughs) Christmas Midnight Mass. Uh, I arrived two or three hours early, of course. And got out of the car, ready for everything, getting everything ready. And I suddenly, walking across the parking lot, I suddenly said out loud, because there was no one else there, no other cars, nothing. I said, you know, Lord, since I've been eight, I've been singing in choirs and singing your bloody Christmas. I actually haven't had since the age of eight a Christmas that I can enjoy 
I said it out loud, and clear as a bell in my head, I heard the words, So what? You have a gift, you're supposed to use it. Get over it. And I burst out laughing. It was just so right. It was wonderful. So, But that's the thing. I keep forgetting to, you know. I, Christopher, you spend far too much time talking to yourself and not enough to Jesus. Have a good day. It's true. Why don't I learn? We have to relearn these habits every day. God help us. And now, here is a recording of The Lord is My Light in its entirety. The Lord is my light, my help, my salvation. Why should I fear? With God I fear no one. God protects me all my life with the Lord. What should I dread? The Lord is my light, the Lord is my help, the Lord is my salvation. Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. The Lord is My Light is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Christopher Walker for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by OCP and by Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, www.npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer John Engadi and his song, I Send You Out. I send you out. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Riker. Thanks for listening. Oh,